listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. The Flames have to hurry. Backland to Lindholm, and he's stopped by Marazic. And that will do it. Flames end the road trip with two tough-to-swallow losses. They lose 3-2 to the Flyers on Saturday and 4-3 to the beat-up Blackhawks on this Sunday. Uh, not good enough. Um, if we want to be a playoff team, that's a game we got to win. Uh, find a way to win. Um, yeah, it wasn't good enough. Not good enough. The words from Flames captain Michael Backlund following a disappointing end to a four-game road trip for the Calgary Flames. Saturday morning, a loss to the Philadelphia Flyers and a stinging loss Sunday afternoon to the shorthanded Chicago Blackhawks. Now on this Monday, the Flames sit to return home for one game with a lot of questions swirling around just how competitive this team can be. Welcome to a Monday edition of Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. We're coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios in Calgary, Alberta. For our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, cracked foundation, Boeing foundation walls. They have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems or all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. we got a lot to get to on this Monday edition of the show. We will dive into... That tough loss for the Calgary Flames Sunday against the Chicago Blackhawks. You can have your say. I can see it on the text line already. 960-960, whatever you want to talk about after losses to Philly and Chicago. Certainly an eye-opener for Flames fans, maybe for Flames management. We'll hear from Ryan Huska and more. But the big news across the NHL today... Former Flames GM Brad Treliving coming to terms with William Nylander on an eight-year contract extension to remain in Toronto. Our pal Justin Cuthbert's going to join us, host of the fan pregame show on Sportsnet. To break that all down, Emily Sadler is going to join us, our Monday regular here on the program to get you set for Wild Card Weekend in the NFL. The regular season wrapped up on Sunday. The matchups are set. It was an entertaining week, ending with a Sunday nighter between the Bills and the Dolphins, so looking forward to that chat. And Flames prospect and Calgary Wranglers forward Cole Schwint going to join us in Hour 2. Another good season for the Wranglers. They lead the Pacific Division in the AHL. Coming off back-to-back wins against the Henderson Silver Knights. We'll check in with Cole Schwint on this Monday. A quick reminder, the fan feedback line is always open to you here on the program. If you're listening live, send us a text at 960-960. Perhaps you want to air some frustrations after that tough loss for the Calgary Flames, that unacceptable loss, whatever word you want to use, 960-960. We'll get to the fan feedback line shortly. My outstanding producers on this Monday, Cam is along with us and welcoming Shan to the program here on Sportsnet today. Glad to have you guys along for the ride as well. But yes, nowhere else to start on Calgary Sports Radio than with that disappointing, frustrating, 
unacceptable, lackluster performance in Chicago from the Calgary Flames. You heard it from Michael Backlund on the intro. If you want to be a playoff team, you just can't let games like that happen. And too often, and the Chicago Blackhawks have been the perfect example of the kryptonite of the Calgary Flames, too often they just let teams that frankly shouldn't win games against them win games. And that was the story last year against this Blackhawks team. And it was the story again on Sunday. And the back-to-back isn't an excuse. The end of a road trip is not an excuse for this group. You have to have a better effort than what you had against the Blackhawks. That's a team that is missing. I don't even know if you really went and numbered it, maybe five or six of their top players including budding superstar Connor Bedard. And you, you know that they're going to come out and work. That's pretty much the one option they have. No offense to the Chicago Blackhawks, but because of a rebuild and because of all the injuries they're going through, it's a group that's really devoid of a lot of talent. And you kind of let them run your show for the majority of that game on Sunday. And... That's just not good enough for this Flames group. I I think it should be an eye-opener if it's not already to Craig Conroy and company that this group is at best inconsistent. And if you're not going to beat teams like Chicago on a regular basis, you have to have a real conversation about where you are as a group right now. And it doesn't mean there isn't good things about this group. It doesn't take away from the fact that Jacob Markstrom has been good or that Blake Coleman's having a good season. All those things still apply, but you have to look at the results as a whole. And this team creeps up to 500, and they fall back down again. Going to creep back up to 500, maybe they'll fall back. That's just not good enough. That's that's not a position you want to be in. And too many Flames fans, I heard it on the Flames Talk postgame show Sunday afternoon with Pat. Too many Flames fans, and I know it. I've been here, watched this team my entire life, talk about that that murky middle, that 500 mark. We joke about you know Minnesota and other teams that have been there as well, but I mean, it's just not a spot that you ever want to be in, and the Flames have that unique opportunity that we've talked about all year long with these UFAs, these pending unrestricted free agents, to maybe find their way out of that with a a retool or a rebuild or whatever you want to call it. And Sunday to me was certainly a reminder that, yeah, I think on good nights, this team has a chance to, to compete with, with teams in the NHL, but too often they're inconsistent. Their lack of high end finish is going to hold them back from being in my mind, anything better than just an okay team. And that's not, It's not fun for me to say. I love it when this team wins. It's a fun atmosphere here, but you want to build a winner here, and you don't want to build a winner for one season or for one opportunity to maybe be a Cinderella story in the playoffs. You want to be able to do this year in, year out. And as much as it's one game, and that's not going to decide their season or decide their fate, I think that game against Chicago encompasses a lot of the long-term problems that this Flames team has gone through. And for a lot of people watching this team and observing this team, 
it was a pretty stark reminder that they're not there and some major changes probably need to happen for them to get to that point. You heard from the captain coming in, Michael Backlund, frustrated, disappointed with his group's effort. Uh, you'll hear a lot of the same here in a quick post-game uh, media availability from head coach Ryan Huska last night in Chicago. Ryan, your team disappointed with how they played. What did you think about their effort today? Um, it was a not a great one. You know, that's a tough one. So disappointing is probably a, a pretty good word for it. Just overall, the road trip with Fats and Eddie Phil. Um, yep, I do. Uh, I thought we started well. Like we we did some things in in Minnesota. We liked Nashville. I thought we played pretty well. And then I thought we let some parts of games get away from us tonight. We got a lot of indiv- individualistic play, and I think that hurt us, especially in the second period. But what do you think the big difference? Uh, they were hungrier and harder than we were. Likes to tip their cap, but how much do you have to do so with Mrazek today? Uh, he, he he made saves when he had to, but I don't think we tested him all that much either, though. Yeah. Is there a way you can develop sort of a killer instinct in your team when they're playing a team like Chicago that's so injuries? At um, you have to. Like the you know they're they were in a situation where we needed to take advantage of it, and and we didn't do what we needed to do today. A disappointed head coach. Ryan Huska, his media availability following a Flames loss to the Chicago Blackhawks on Sunday. He says it in a different way than than other coaches have in his in their time here in Calgary, but I still think he relayed the proper message. And you know, a couple you know Chicago reporters tried to give him a, a bit of an out with the oh, how much do you tip your cap to Morazic? It wasn't about Morazic last night. It wasn't about. It was even less about Chicago last night, I think, than it was just from a, an overall Flames perspective that it just wasn't good enough. That it doesn't matter who the opponent is. It, well, it does matter who the opponent is. I shouldn't say that. Because it does matter when a team is as depleted as the Chicago Blackhawks are. But that effort's just not good enough for this team on any given night, let alone against a Chicago team that you know is going to have to come out and work if they want to put up any kind of effort. And uh, the Flames gave Chicago an opportunity, and uh, the Blackhawks went out and, and, and took it. Uh, some of your texts here at 960-960. The fan feedback line is always open to you here on Sportsnet today. Feel free to shoot us a text. Uh, Jonathan from Canmore kicking us off, saying, Rasmus Anderson maybe want to pull my hair out yesterday. He plays so many reliable minutes, but man, sometimes he can make some head-scratching plays and penalties that cost this team. That was a, the penalty one is something that popped up over the weekend for Saturday's game and Sunday's game. they got to stay out of the box. This team is best when they're rolling four lines, and they've got to be more careful. And look, I know it's, it's always tough. The conversation about the refereeing on Saturday, I think, was a fair one, but this team is just not built. The power plays not having, uh, you know, still any kind of consistent success. They've got to play it as much on five on five as they can. You can't, you know, tax your penalty killers because some of your penalty killers, you know, the Lindholms, the Coleman's, the Backlands, kind of the guys you're also asking to push the bus offensively. That's a really tough line to tow for both of these, uh, you, you know, units of five on five and when it comes to the penalty kill. 
Uh, this text says, I know a lot of people are saying we should trade Markstrom. However, I'd much rather Vladar goes, as I think Wolf will need a mentor for the first year or two. As much of a diehard fan as I am, it's almost embarrassing to admit it these days. Uh, this one says, we played the wrong goalie. The entire fourth line is not productive. We don't make the smart pass. We tend to force the puck through sticks or the middle of the ice. Got to start using the boards. Start mucking it up for this group. Uh, Corey says, there might be a C right now, but I don't think there's adequate leadership on this Flames team. Would Stamkos, Marshan, Stone, etc. put up with a performance like that against maybe $13 million in salary on the other side? That one from Corey. And, and look, Corey, to, to that I would say, you know, leadership is one of those things that is very hard to quantify. Um, you know, there's, first of all, there's different forms of leadership. And I think, you know, if, if you want to use Michael Backlund as the example, because he's the captain that wasn't here the last couple of years, I think you have to say, you know, there's only so much that you can, it seems the coaching conversation, right? I mean, as much as a, a coach can provide leadership and can provide a blueprint and, you know, a, a game plan and those sort of things, it's still on the team to execute it. I don't know that, that Michael Backlund, you know, did or did not say anything in, say, the second intermission last night that, that would have changed their fate. I, I think this is, this is a, a question of, you know, team construction and just the reality of the fact that they, they can't put up minimalistic efforts and expect to win, even against a depleted Chicago team that's, you know, paying more on injured reserve than they are on their active roster. I think that's more of the conversation right now with this team. Uh, Cam in the greater Texas saying daughter turns for uh, turned 14 on Saturday. Happy birthday, by the way, Friday morning, bought tickets to her first hockey game. And my first one since Gretzky played bottom for Connor Bedard's night and he gets hurt. Oh no. I'm sorry to hear that cam. Yeah. Hopefully um, it's not too long before Connor Bedard gets back, but uh, I know you're a lot of people would have had that Chicago game circled on the calendar, hoping to see the number one overall pick and uh, it didn't work out for him. Hopefully not too long. I know the Blackhawks could sure use him back sooner than later. Uh, this text says I've been a diehard flames fan for years, so I'm not really surprised. I'm used to the, being an average team other than a couple seasons recently, tired of the same old, same old, but I'm not surprised. Uh, this one says bleep happens. Obviously you want to win those games, but that's the great thing about sports. The worst team can beat the best team on any given day. Our pal Matt and Cochran chiming in on the text line. The Flames are a below average team that seems to think they're cup contenders. So they take a team like Chicago lightly and lose. If Bedard were in the lineup, they've gotten their heads kicked in on the scoreboard. Uh, and then one more here. This one says we need to trade Markstrom this year to get the best possible value. Keep Vladar split starts with Wolf. What are your thoughts? I've always been on the, and I guess if, if the conversation is, is realistic about trading Jacob Markstrom, I guess it depends on what the return is. I'm never going to say never because if a team is really willing to step up and, and pay a boatload to bring in Jacob Markstrom, then I'd, I'd probably change my tune. But if it was, you know, a an average return, I would probably lean to more towards him mentoring a guy like Dustin Wolf, but a lot goes into that. And as I, as I mentioned, we had the conversation on the show last week, 
you know, that's going to involve a conversation with Jacob Markstrom, I think, because nowhere in his contract does it say, hey, you have to be a good, solid mentor to the guy that's, you know, potentially taking your job for the next decade, right? There's no, there's no caveat that says he has to welcome Dustin Wolf in with open arms and mentor him to be a better pro and help him on the day-to-day basis of being an NHLer. So you, I think you have to weigh that in the conversation as well. But yeah, I, I guess if, if the return was acceptable, if maybe Jacob wasn't, um, you know, keen on having like Dustin around on the full-time basis, and I don't know the answer to that. I'm not saying he is or, or isn't okay with that. Then um, I think it's an option to look at, but I would probably lean towards if, if Jacob wants to be here and, and is okay with a young goalie coming in, then I would lean towards keeping him and having him be the guy that sort of brings Dustin Wolf into the NHL full-time. But that's just me. Uh, of course, over the weekend as well, every Saturday as part of the Hockey Night in Canada broadcast, uh, Elliot Friedman, our NHL insider from Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada, uh, brings you headlines, and the Flames were a prominent part of uh, headlines this weekend, and it was uh, negotiations with Noah Hannafin, perhaps, restarting and sort of uh, added to uh, a bit of the conversation around this team and the two losses that happened this weekend. Here's what Friedman had to say on headlines Saturday during Hockey Night in Canada. Quick thought on the uh, on the Flames here. Uh, now it puts them on the wrong side of 500. Um, we thought that was going to be the tap-in game for the Calgary Flames. Jonathan Huberto, by the way, now playing with the white tape again. Interesting for those of you who care about things like that. He snapped his slump when he went to the black tape, and now he's back to the white. Welcome to the triviality that Your is Your buddy podcast. Mark Savard keeping us all guessing. Oh, man, savvy. Tape and twigs with savvy, I'm telling you. It's that the great YouTube sensation. Uh, thoughts on the Flames on this one? Well, I, I thought they played really well in, in Philadelphia on Saturday. That was a great game on Saturday afternoon, and they just got beat, unfortunately. But, you know, you can't have that. If you're trying to compete for the playoffs, and they are, you, you can't lose games like that. It's, it's, it's very disappointing, and it's very disheartening. And, you know, I can understand why Flames fans would be emotional. And I'm sure the organization is emotional after a game like that. You, you hate it. Um, you know, I mean, you hate it and it's, it's embarrassing. Like you feel embarrassed for 24 hours after something like that. Um, you know, the, the thing about the Flames is Hannafin, it's wild. He had a big extension at the beginning of the year. And in the neighborhood of 60 million. And after a couple losses, he kind of changed his mind. They, they had a verbal agreement, basically. He changed his mind and it went away. And they saw what the market was for him. And now I heard they're talking again. And, you know, there, there's, there's differing degrees of belief on how significant there is. There are some people who think that... There have been some momentum. There are some people who say it's not really a huge change from before. It was always open. But I thought when that extension didn't happen at the beginning of the year, any chance that Hannafin was staying was over. And, you know, he still might end up getting traded, but I I, I don't think it's over. I don't think it's 100% a guarantee. And the one thing about Hannafin is he's younger. He's 27. So I think there's a feeling that there's 
there's it makes sense in some ways maybe to keep him now again as i said saturday night that's no guarantee and we'll see where things go closer to the deadline but you know one thing i really thought was that there was no chance he was going to stay in calgary and i had a couple people telling me on the weekend it's it's not no chance i think there's there's a possibility but i i don't know how to handicap it i i really don't there is Elliot Friedman on the latest 32 Thoughts podcast expanding on his segment uh, headlines on Saturday about Noah Hannafin and the Calgary Flames re-upping talks. And, of course, whenever that sort of news drops in the midst of a, a weekend that included two losses, and as they mentioned, you know, the unacceptable loss to the Chicago Blackhawks, people immediately begin rolling their eyes and saying, well, how can you re-sign a UFA? How can you jump into sort of these conversations? after a loss like that. And I think Friedman makes a good point about Hannafin's age. He is the youngest of the UFAs and I think would be the most palatable one to sign if it was to go down a long-term road between those two. I also think that it makes sense at this point in the season for him to get the lay of the land with his UFAs and try to see what exactly their thought process is and maybe have that final conversation about what the future looks like for both teams because the trade deadline is under two months away and, you know, there was different people will say, okay, we need to re-sign Tanev or I think Hannafin's the guy that can stick around and I'd be okay with trading the other guys. I think Craig Conroy and his staff still need some finality to those conversations before they make their their final call you might think it's a very easy decision based on the weekend that they need to move on from all of these guys and start fresh but you know there is different segments and there are different people that think that you know maybe Noah Hannafin's the one guy you can keep some will say Chris Tanev's a guy that you should try to keep around so I don't think it's like I'm not sensing impending doom that the Flames are looking at re-signing all these guys and think they're in contender mode because Noah Hannafin and the Flames have reopened contract negotiations. Like I, I don't, I don't get the sense that because they've talked to Noah Hannafin again about maybe a contract extension that that means Craig Conroy and Hockey Ops have made up their mind and. They think this team is a contender. I, like, I mean, the Noah Hannafin one of all things, again, given his age and given some of the key minutes he plays for this team, I think you can still retool, rework, whatever word you want to use for it, and you know, in a world, keep Noah Hannafin. It's all dependent on return cost too, right? If Craig Conroy isn't getting, at least right now, appropriate value for a UFA out there in the trade market like Noah Hannafin, maybe it does make more sense for this team to re-sign Noah Hannafin. There's no guarantee that Noah stays for the duration of that contract or that you don't open up trade negotiations again. I think the whole conversation comes down to not losing assets for nothing. And if the trade market absolutely stinks and there's nothing worthwhile out there for you right now, Maybe you have those conversations with Noah Hannafin in his camp and say, is there something that we can get done that makes sense for both sides? I I don't just, I, I want to be careful because so often, and it's what social media does, but I just, 
I see it so quickly out there that these reports come out from a Friedman or Pierre Lebron or Drager or Bob McKinney, whoever it is, and Flames fans right now are, are so on the, the, the edge of everything that they go, well, there goes the rebuild. There goes all of our opportunity to to rework this thing, and they think we're contenders, and here goes another 20 years of mediocrity. I don't think that's what this means. I, I think you have to have these conversations, and again, while you might not love it, the other side of not losing assets for nothing is keeping these assets, right? If the trade's not there and we're going to sit there and go, wow, that's all you got for Noah Hannafin on the, you know, the day of the trade deadline or three weeks from now or whatever the timeline is, would you rather not have the asset going forward? I, I think I would. Of course, that's dependent on the contract and dependent on the return, but I just think that don't read into the Friedman thing and, and sit there and go, it's the end of the world and Conroy's lost his mind and they're all, they're going all in for it. I don't think one thing automatically means uh, they're heading down into contender status. So um, I think this team is very well aware. I heard Don Maloney's comments over the weekend. I don't make much of them. It's a, that's a guy that's been in hockey for a very long time and understands exactly what he's saying to the media and the message that it sends to fans and maybe more importantly, the message that it sends to other GMs and other uh, presidents of hockey ops across the league. I don't think... Uh, Don Maloney goes out there and, and says what he says without knowing the impact and knowing the eyebrows it'll uh, it'll raise amongst Flames fans when those kind of things are said. So, yes, frustrating weekend, I understand. But at the end of the day, I, I know people hear the things from Friedman and maybe the messages from a guy like Don Maloney and get, um, you know, sort of worked up about it. But I think... At the end of the day, this hockey ops group knows the direction that they want to go in. And um, the one thing I would take from Don Mone is that I think uh, his comment about them following the path that the players laid out for them, I think that's uh, um, one that you can definitely believe in if you're a Flames fan. We do have some Flames uh, roster news to tell you about today. It's an off day for the group after the road trip and back-to-back games uh, on the road. They're obviously going to welcome in the Ottawa Senators tomorrow for a one-game homestand. But some good news on the injury front. You'll be happy to know Jacob Peltier has returned to the Calgary Wranglers. Uh, He's been out with a shoulder injury since preseason. The Flames have assigned him to the American Hockey League today, so that's good news. He's obviously been medically cleared and uh, will return to practice with the group this week. That's great news and uh, good news for him when it comes to Uh, Perhaps an NHL return. Also good news for Kevin Rooney, who's been out for a long time, uh, dealing with an injury as well. He's been placed on waivers today. Should he clear tomorrow, expect him to be sent down to the Wranglers as well as two uh, forwards in the Flames organization uh, finally are getting healthy and getting closer to being back with the big club. Yan Kuznetsov also returned to the American Hockey League after spending the weekend with the group. I would say that's good news when it comes to Dennis Gilbert and uh, his progression through concussion protocol. So Pelche to the American Hockey League, Kevin Rooney on waivers, so they're doing good medically, and Yan Kuznetsov 
uh, back to the AHL as well ahead of Tuesday's game against the Ottawa Senators. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. Going to shift our focus over to football. 18 weeks of regular season football is in the books. Wild Card Weekend is up next. And uh, we'll chat about uh, everything NFL. Coaches fired on Monday. Playoff matchups, playoff disappointments. We'll get to all of it with Emily Sadler. Our Monday regular talking all things NFL. That's next when Sportsnet Today returns on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. 18 weeks of regular season football in the books. Next up, wild card weekend. The Browns and the Texans will kick things off in the de facto Deshaun Watson Bowl, I guess, on Saturday afternoon, leading you all the way up into Monday Night Football with the Bucks and the Eagles. Should be a great set of games, six on the schedule. Anytime we talk NFL, very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Welcome to our Monday regular from Sportsnet.ca. It's been a couple of weeks since I've talked to this lady, but I'm very glad to have her back on the show today. Emily Sadler joins us. Emily, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Logan? Good I'm to be really back. Good. It's great <laughs> to have you back. I've missed our chats. We've been busy the last couple of weeks with holidays and a uh, little other stuff, but uh, very glad to have you back in on the show today. And we got a ton to talk about. Uh, there's firings, there's playoff matchups, there's missed postseason uh, appearances. We got everything to jump into. Yeah, it's kind of wild when I think back to some of our conversations, you know, midseason and, you know, you're kind of right in the thick of it. And now it's hard to believe that we are we have wrapped up the whole season. There's um, still so much more football to come. But yeah, just sort of to close that chapter is kind of wild. It really is. It's uh, crazy to think 18 weeks are in the books and uh, here we are getting ready to kick off Wild Card Weekend on Saturday. Speaking of uh, Saturday, let's go back to last Saturday where we had two key games on the NFL schedule, including the Texans and the Colts battling for AFC South uh, supremacy. C.J. Stroud, what a great story. We've talked about him all year long. Too bad he had a couple of weeks of injury there, but he leads the Texans back from you know pure disaster last season to now back in the playoffs this year with uh, D'Amico Ryans at head coach, but got to feel a little bit bad for the – I don't know if you feel bad or not, but for the Colts, that's a, a disappointing way for your season to come to an end like that on a, a dropped pass on a fourth and one. Yeah, absolutely. It's always painful to see that. I think I, – I almost I almost do feel for the Colts just based on them being in the AFC South. Like, they were actually a really good story this year, right? You know, you have the really unfortunate – injury to Anthony Richardson way back what it seems like years ago now um what was that week three or something yeah um and you know to play out the season with your backup Gardner Minshew you know he has that sort of cult following and they, they've really in my opinion exceeded expectations but to go up against a team like the Texans who I mean they're just as you said one of the best stories of the year such a surprise they've kind of had this almost team of destiny feel to them ever since you know, this sort of mid-season kind of breakout, right, where the whole team just really, really clicked. So as painful as it is to see a team's season kind of end on a drop like that, I think they're just so overshadowed by, wow, what a great story the Texans have been. And I'm personally really looking forward to seeing what C.J. Stroud can do in the playoffs because what a surprise to see them there. Uh, quickly on the Colts, is it a bit of overthinking in your mind not to give the ball to a guy like Jonathan Taylor having the kind of day he was on Saturday? 
Yeah, I think absolutely. Like those are the situations where especially, yes, when you've been relying on your run game and can rely on a superstar like that, just keep it simple, right? And I think we see that so often where there is that bit of overthinking and, you know, the Texans defense has been playing really well, but when you've got something that's working for you and especially in that game, it is a shame not to just like see it handed off to to Jonathan Taylor and just, you know, rely on the guys who have gotten you there before. So definitely um, a bit of overthinking there, I think, and lessons to be learned all around. Uh, let's move to Sunday night. It was the one that I think most people probably had their eyes on, Bills and Dolphins. So many questions. We've talked about both of these teams so much during the year, Emily, the up-and-down season for the Buffalo Bills. I go back to some of our earlier chats, and I don't know if you know some of those times we were talking about Josh Allen and those struggles that I ever imagined a world where we were talking about them as division champions. Just talk a bit about you know, what you've seen from them and how big of a win you think Sunday was for this group heading into the week, heading into the wildcard weekend. Yeah, it's, it kind of, it kind of makes me laugh, right? Because if you were to just like drop in today, Hey guys, what happened over the last 18 weeks? Oh, I see the bills are at the top of the AFC East. Totally normal. Like everything as expected. And we'd be like, Oh buddy, I have a story for you. (laughs) Like it just, it's, such a roller coaster for them and to see them you know not only come out on top of the AFC East with plenty of help from their friends right um it, it just really goes to show like okay yes are there problems in this roster is Josh Allen gonna um not always be the reliable arm that you need him to be yes but he's also gonna pull it out and this defense you know they've had their ups and downs as well And to see them really kind of, they were essentially the difference maker, especially at the end of this game. And so to see them come out on top like that, they just have all the momentum, right? And that's something that we've been waiting for. We've been waiting to see that from the Bills. As you know, they've just been so up and down all season. You know, they haven't really won those back-to-back games. Well, when when they were behind the eight ball, you know, they go on this, this streak in December and they put this all together. And so to see them clicking at the right time, it really does make them a really dangerous team. And then even, you know, looking ahead to the weekend, sure, the Steelers have a good defense, but you have to believe that the Bills have a pretty good path maybe to the divisional round. I've totally just jinxed them, so I'm sorry to (laughs) Bills Mafia because I've been jinxing everybody on this show. Like, my record is insane. But but it, it was a fitting way, I have to say, for the Bills to come out on top and just to see them, like, you know, kind of finally um, finally get to where we all expected them to get. But yeah. it's a long way. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> exactly the, the clearest path to uh, to the fourth straight division title for the Buffalo Bills. That's for sure. Uh, on the other side, Monday Night Football will be the Eagles and the Bucks, And heading to Tampa Bay, probably not where Eagles fans thought they would be after 10-1. and one. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we haven't had a chance to chat on the show, but uh, I imagine had we done that, Emily, we would have been talking a lot about this Eagles late season. I don't want to say collapse, but worrisome trend that they can't stop very much right now going back to games against the Cardinals. It's a very uninspiring game against the Giants on Sunday with some injuries. How nervous would you be if you're an Eagles fan knowing the last couple of weeks have led you to a road game in Tampa Bay on Monday night? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, to be honest, like, I think you can call this a collapse. It's just been a yeah. real head scratcher. 
you know, if you look at earlier in December when maybe there was the writing on the wall for this little losing streak, but you look at their opponents and, you know, they lost to the 49ers, a great team. They lost to some, to some playoff teams, right? But the last three weeks, the Cardinals, the Giants, it's just, oh. it's really perplexing. And, it, and it's both, in, in my opinion, it's, you know, obviously the product on the field is, is not getting the job done. But they just really look completely out of sync. They look like they've lost their confidence. And to me, that's got to be the most alarming part because, you know, what, what was it that you and I were talking about kind of mid-season when they made a statement with that confidence? You know, like we, that's what we would point to when things maybe weren't altogether clicking on the Eagles. There was always this element of, yeah, but I, I think they can reach another gear. And so we kind of expected them to, but what was really going for them in the meantime when they weren't totally clicking was their confidence, right? They could always look back and say, hey, we know how to get there and we can get there again. So I'm certainly never going to rule them out because, again, if you look at last year, they rallied, they got to the Super Bowl, but it's really perplexing. And just the body language around the team, (laughs) the way, you know, Nick Sirianni is using these boxing metaphors, but like they've been down for the count. Like, I just don't really know what the solution is there. They've, they've all got to sort of collectively regain their mojo. Um, And I'm, yeah, I, I don't know what the status of AJ Brown is, but you know, that just sort of adds to the, the, the concern, right, to see him go down with, I think, a knee injury. So just just a really worrisome uh, a worrisome team right now, which is definitely not what I expected to be talking about um, just a month ago. No, definitely not. That's uh, a spot many Eagles fans surprised to see them in, and it leads them to a road game to start the playoffs. She's Emily Sadler, joins us every Monday from Sportsnet.ca. Her Week 18 NFL takeaway is available at Sportsnet.ca right now, and uh, as we talk about some of the teams heading to the postseason, of course, there's the group that's not heading to the postseason as well. Uh, it was interesting. I came across this as I was getting ready to chat with you today, and uh, apparently the New York Times playoff simulator after Week 12 had the Jacksonville Jaguars' chances of making the playoffs at 99%. Uh, oh my <laughs> I don't know if that means their simulator's bad or if the things went that sore, uh, sorely for the Jacksonville Jaguars down the stretch, but... I'm not sure, as we look at teams that didn't make the postseason today, Emily, if we can say there's a bigger disappointment out there than Jacksonville as far as teams that didn't make it. Yeah, 100%. I agree with you there. I think, I think if, you, if we go all the way back to preseason and if you were to say, hey, guess what? The Chargers aren't going to make it. The Jets aren't going to make it. The Bengals aren't going to make it. You'd be like, whoa, okay, what are we talking about here? And then as the season goes on, you sort of see the reasons why, although I have no answer for the Chargers. You probably have a better answer for the Chargers. I know you follow They're them. just the Chargers. But That's the best way we can put the that Chargers. one. Yeah. That's really the only way to explain yeah. it. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of just, like, a colossal collapse down the stretch, it doesn't – we've just talked about the Eagles, but it doesn't get much worse than the Jaguars. And I thought it was particularly interesting just looking at, you know, you compare this time uh, – you compare yesterday to last year, once again, facing the Titans, once again, have the season on the line, and they just, they were not the better team this year. And I think just when you look at last year and all the momentum that was with them, and they sort of brought that into this season, and so they really did look like one of the top teams in the AFC. And so to see them go down like this, I don't think that you can really point to a team that 
has more reason to be more disappointed than the Jaguars right now. Like they, they had it. They had the division. They had the playoff spot, and all of a sudden, they're out. Yeah, that's a tough one for them to swallow. Calvin Ridley was the big offseason acquisition and thought Trevor Lawrence had all these options. They stayed pretty healthy for the most part of this season. And mm-hmm. um, definitely, I think, some people in Jacksonville wondering what exactly happened to their group today. And uh, they won't be firing their coach, which they don't think so. But we've had plenty of that happen already. We've had two coaches lose their jobs today in Atlanta. I guess last night it started in Atlanta and then today in Washington um, with Ron Rivera joining the list of the L.A. Chargers, the Las Vegas Raiders, Carolina Panthers as teams that are now looking for head coaches. And as you mentioned, maybe uh, in your article at, at sportsnet.ca, maybe New England as well. We're still kind of waiting to see what happens there. So there's always a, a long list of teams looking for the next guy at head coach. And we've heard so much about Harbaugh and you know some of these other options out there. But as the list sort of expands, Emily, and you look at these teams – which job would you covet the most if you were a potential head coach? Which one of these jobs do you think, okay, I can see someone coming in there and finding success pretty quickly? Mm-hmm. I think there's, to me, there's a 1A and there's a 1B in this group. And I I mean, whenever we talk about the Chargers job, it's it's always that intriguing job, right? Like who doesn't want to work with Justin Herbert, some of their offensive weapons, um, but at the same time, there is a curse that you also have to deal with. So yep. good luck with that. But <laughs> I think that's probably the the most intriguing job opening. And that's kind of always the one that when there is a, uh, when that, you know, Brandon Staley, when he was been on the hot seat for, for ages before he was fired, that was always a job that, you know, was looked at like, okay, that's the one, that's the one that people want. But at the same time, I think the Falcons is fascinating. Um, there are so many weapons there. You're you're most likely going to have a new quarterback incoming. You know, maybe you can have a say in who that quarterback is. I think the Falcons are an interesting team in terms of potentially landing a veteran quarterback because they just have so many weapons that are ready to go. I think they were one of those frustrating teams to watch with Arthur Smith. I know he did a lot of good there, but at the same time, you see, you know, Bijan Robinson not being prioritized. You see. Um, Kyle Pitts sort of coming and going, sort of disappearing sometimes in the playbook. So to see someone else maybe come into that situation and kind of bring all of those um, those weapons to life, I think that'll be really interesting to watch. I'm, I'm also, I will say, I'm intrigued by the commander's job just in the sense that, you know, they've got a top pick, new ownership coming in, maybe want to make a splash. Um, that's a market that I would be really interested in if potentially Bill Belichick leaves the Patriots and <laughs> maybe wants to go closer to home in Washington. So I think that's one to watch for sure. But definitely some interesting openings. I I will say I'm not sure how long the lineup is going to be for Carolina, just because, as you and I have talked about before, you're not going to have a very long leash there, and there's definitely a lot of problems. But, of course, when it's one of 32, it's always going to be a coveted job. 100%. And uh, as we finish up with you here, Emily, we look towards uh, Wild Card Weekend. Uh, of course, this is what everyone's excited about. Playoffs are finally here. And, man, do we have a ton of storylines heading into the weekend? Oh I love this. You've got to be excited as, as somebody does some writing, too, because there's so much to dive into. I joked coming in, it's kind of the Deshaun Watson Bowl to start things off with the Browns and the Texans. We finally get Tyreek Hill coming back to KC with the Dolphins uh, heading to take on the Chiefs. 
You've got Mike McCarthy against his old team and Jordan Love's playoff debut. And now you've got Jared Goff versus Matt Stafford with the Rams and the Lions. Like, where are you focused in on? Is it even fair to focus in on one? Because there's so many awesome matchups to look forward to this weekend. Yes, it is It is not fair to focus on just one. <laughs> and I'm so grateful that the schedule makers don't do, like, the double up thing. Oh, yes, <laughs> thank you. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, you're so right. Like, I can't remember a year. I can't remember a postseason that had this many just, like, really good, really juicy storylines. Like, even if we're not talking about just the football, which is going to be excellent. In that in that regard, it's all it's to me, it's Dolphins Chiefs. I'm highlighting that, underlining it, bold, all of the above. <laughs> um, but even, you know, of course, the storyline with Tyree Kill's return to Kansas City in there is so good. I can't get enough, though, of Rams-Lions. I love this matchup. It totally is one of those, you know, those commercials that kind of joke about the NFL being scripted? Yes. <laughs> like, this is, this is that. <laughs> this is so perfect. When you have, like, you know, Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff, they were traded for each other. Now they're going to play against each other. Matthew Stafford coming back to Detroit. Lions haven't won a playoff game since 91. There's just, there are so many storylines there. And besides that, I can't wait to see Dan Campbell in the playoffs. I think he's going to be excellent. Dan Campbell plays to win, and I, I, every everything about him is just like he makes those bold calls. And to see him go up against McVay, there's just way too many storylines here to count. Yeah. Um, I could ramble on and on about <laughs> about what a dream this wild card weekend is going to be. But yeah, I I can't wait. So even if the football doesn't quite live up to it, I'm here for the stories. Me too. It's uh, it's chock full of them, and I can't wait to see uh, what comes up on Monday because we'll have five games to talk about, and we'll be able to get set for the Bucks and the Eagles next week. Emily, always appreciate the time. Glad we could reconvene after uh, missing you for a couple of weeks, but I'm glad to have you back on, and I uh, can't wait to do it again next week. Hey, take care. Same here. You take care. Bye now. Emily Sadler joining us from Sportsnet.ca. You can find her Week 18 NFL takeaways up at Sportsnet.ca as we get set for Wild Card Weekend kicking off Saturday afternoon. It's a 2.30 kickoff between the Browns and the Texans. And 6 o'clock on Saturday, Dolphins-Chiefs. Three games on Sunday, 11, 2.30, 6 o'clock. We go Steelers-Bills, Packers-Cowboys, Rams-Lions, and Monday Night Football is the Eagles in Tampa Bay to take on the Buccaneers. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. Very excited to be joined next by Wranglers forward and Calgary Flames prospect Cole Schwint. We'll look back at a very successful two games against the Henderson Silver Knights for the Calgary Wranglers. Feel out how Colts feeling uh, in year two in the Calgary Flames organization. So looking forward to chatting with him. Also, uh, we'll take a look in on the massive extension signed by William Nylander with the Toronto Maple Leafs today. Justin Cuthbert is going to join us as well. So lots to get to when hour two kicks off next on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.